I have a pet squirrel. And he lives in my head. And every time I try to start that 12-page midterm paper due in a week, that little squirrel climbs out of the depths of my mind and whispers, one week? That's basically an eon. Go get some Kong, hang out with your blockmates. You haven't seen them in days. Two days left until that paper is due. And just as I'm about to pull out the old Microsoft Word, that little pet squirrel comes out with a cheeky smile on its face and whispers, you got time. <laughs> Don't worry. Why, yes, you can work out at the gym for the first time this entire semester. <laughs> and why, yes, you can spend four hours there catching up with all your gym buddies whom you never see at the gym because you never go to the gym. <laughs> and at this point, in my failed endeavors to start writing, I've grown rather fond of this little pet squirrel. I haven't named him Bubbles. But then in the blink of an eye, I've got 24 hours to finish 12 pages in the rise of socialism in late 19th century Poland, and I'm freaking out. But you know the drill. Maybe Bubbles, my optimistic pet squirrel who's caused all this anxiety and stress, maybe he has something encouraging to say. Right, Bubbles? Bubbles? Where are you, Bubbles? <clears throat> we all procrastinate, right? Procrastination is as vital to the Harvard student's life as water is to fish, <laughs> or as lotteries are to Harvard classes. So why do we procrastinate? According to a highly reputable news source, BuzzFeed.com, <laughs> we procrastinate because we want to escape the traumatic pain that comes with the task that we are supposed to be doing. To all you thesis survivors, it's okay. Your thesis won't find you here. <laughs> when I was a freshman, the upperclassmen I knew would always tell me, focus on the people here. Apparently, if there was one thing they regretted doing, it was spending too much time grinding away p-sets and not enough time hanging out with friends. So I took their advice to heart. I shouldn't spend time on p-sets? Fine with me. I'll be an English major. No p-sets ever, except for SPU. <laughs> so after a turbulent freshman year, in which I juggled school with sports, a series of first world existential crises, I found myself sophomore year when I decided I wanted to become a people person. Now for context, in high school, I was so busy focusing on me that I didn't even know what hangout meant. On top of that, I was an only child who spent much of his formative years swimming, one of the most individualistic and antisocial of sports. <laughs> so when I decided I wanted to become this people person, it was pretty nerve-wracking. Because in order to be a people person, you need people. <laughs> people are weird. And I'm pretty weird, but I didn't know if other people's kind of weird wanted to hang out with my kind of weird. But as it turns out, you all are friendly. And soon enough, as I began choosing to hang out with my friends, rather than study, the term people person became a euphemism for professional procrastinator. <laughs> I've spent the last three years at Harvard spending entire days foregoing my personal work only to give in to the sweet temptation of hanging out with the people around me. I remember multiple occasions just freestyling with my buddy Steven until 3 a.m. in the morning, 
just saying a lot because I'm not a very good rapper. <laughs> People, I like to say, are my fifth class, which is also saying a lot because I would never take five classes here at Harvard. <laughs> I'd move from one conversation in the D Hall to another in the common room, mesmerized by my peers' talks of their past travels, their current research proposals, and their determined dreams to change the world. In one particular conversation, Pat, a good friend of mine, told me that he wanted to use statistics to change the world, and that his dream was to someday positively affect one billion people. And sure enough, this past winter break, Pat got started on that dream, when in the wake of Nepal's catastrophic earthquakes, he and his roommate decided to travel to Nepal to conduct database research to help improve disaster relief efforts there. Exchanges like this both fascinated me and left me in awe. Sure, at the end of these conversation-filled days, I'd find myself back at my desk in my room, having started none of the assignments or readings due to the next morning. But I'd feel incredibly rich and satisfied because I'd learned so much about the people around me, as if you all were one big storybook come alive. And guess what? Professionally procrastinating my way through college must have paid off somehow. I am one of the few English concentrators to graduate from my department with a job. <laughs> and by job, I mean internship. <laughs> and by internship, I actually mean two months of shredding paper, getting coffee, and sharpening pencils, all the things my English degree prepared me for. <laughs> but professionally procrastinating my way through college, wasn't always just fun and games. Though I'd spend entire afternoons or evenings talking with the brightest, the funniest, the most insightful people, I have the blessed opportunity to call classmates at the same time, I'd ironically feel like a shell of a person, as if I lacked an essence that made me, me, like there was no substance to who I was. And in my efforts to be more sociable, I realized what was really scary was not the prospect of being rejected by people. What was really scary was feeling alone and incompetent, even while being around people I considered friends. After 45 minutes of delightful dialogue, it would be my peers who would have to check their watches and head off to a class or meeting or the library. And I felt like it was my peers, not me, who are diligent and focused enough to take school seriously and make an impact in this world. And I think we've all felt that way, one time or another. Empty, somehow worthless, because of just how amazing our fellow classmates can be. There's this unspoken self-consciousness that pervades, this unintentional belittling of ourselves, that we're not as accomplished or as mature as we thought we'd be after four years here at Harvard. And I think it's safe to assume that most of us have wondered, even if for just a moment, am I Harvard's admission mistake? I know I've worried about that. Same time, as I stand here today, re-examining how I use every moment of my precious time here at Harvard, I don't regret a thing. Sure, I might not be the most impressive student here with the best GPA or the most stunning accolades, 
But what I do have is a collection of experiences derived simply from talking with other people. And I think that's what Harvard is about. Because if more time procrastinating means that you had an intense heart-to-heart -heart with your two other roommates, then maybe that inefficient cramming later on was worth it. I'm more driven now to do something, to be someone, to change the world, to leave an impact than I've ever been before, precisely because of how I've been shaped and fueled by all of your stories. And unlike the section readings I didn't do for my classes, I'll actually remember your stories a decade or two from now. Whatever pathways we embark on, one thing is for sure. We'll always face trade-offs trying to find the perfect balance between focusing on our own work and engaging with other people. And at these crossroads, there will be a voice inside of our heads. Now, whether that voice manifests itself as your conscience on the form of an optimistic pet squirrel is not the point. What matters is that we listen to that voice and that we take the time to consider the unexpected values that we might learn from the people around us. So, to, to the graduating class of 2016, I have a pet squirrel and <clears throat> he lives in my head. And I hope he continues to live there for a long, long time. Thank you.